0: Welcome back to Mind of the Warrior, everybody. As always, brought to you by Graybeard Performance, the life and lifestyle brand for dudes over forty who want to kick ass and be savages. I don't know what the fuck you people are waiting for. Go to graybeardperformance.com. Check out our supplements. Check out our fight gear. I just I can't I can't believe it. I'm giving it to you. You got to take advantage of it. Promo code MOTW gets you ten percent off on every purchase. I'm literally handing you success. Go to GraybeardPerformance.com. Not right now, but once this podcast is over, because my guest today from Street cr- Cop Training himself, Dennis Bonino. Brother, thank you so much for coming on.
1: I am honored to be here, Mike Simpson. <laughs> Dr. Mike Simpson.
0: Thanks, brother. We've had some great conversations before. Of course, I've been on uh, I've been on your show before. Uh please forgive me, sir, for waiting so damn long to get you on this show. Very glad that you're here today. So uh, let's we'll jump right into it, man. Give for th- for those of my listeners who may have been living under a rock and do not follow street cop training and know what you're all about. Talk a little bit about your background and what uh, what led you to being the law enforcement influencer that you are today.
1: Uh, my name is Dennis Benino. I'm a New Jersey based boy who grew up here, uh, has no intention of leaving here, loves it here became a law enforcement officer uh, in 2001, started in the Department of Corrections, moved on to a federal agency. And then uh, within uh, four and a half or five years, I was my third agency at the agency that I wanted to work for, which is my hometown agency. So I went to three police academies in four and a half years. Um, you know, I think today's academies are a little, I think that some of the standards have changed quite a bit. Well, some of the other standards have continued to remain high, but- you know, for the most part, the academies were were interesting, <laughs> difficult, daunting, and almost completely useless. Uh, mm. So when I came out into the field, we were expected, I just go back you know twenty two years ago, we were expected to know um, you know how to do this job, but nobody ever taught us how to do it. And mm. so I had to learn it on my own. And I had to learn it through a lot of hardships, mistakes, tough lessons. I had to learn how to behave in my personal life. I'd learn how to behave towards people, how to communicate appropriately. All these things I had to learn because nobody ever taught them to me. So, uh, after so many years being in the profession, I realized that we were doing a really, really bad job at preparing men and women in this profession to be able to go out and do this job professionally, politely, and wisely. In the sense of, nobody even knows what crime looks like. Nobody goes to an academy where they teach you how to catch criminals. And I think that the street cop training thing was developed out of recognizing that I might be able to help people because I seem to be helping a lot of people in the field. Not only as a field training officer, or a coworker subordinate, but also from other police agencies that we worked with recognizing that people are having a real difficult time understanding how to do this job in the greatest macro sense that I could say it. So I was like, man, I think I can fucking help people. So, um, I wrote a prush, i taking notes in my car, things that I thought that were important people to know for about six months, converted them into a PowerPoint. and That's how it started and went from me being an instructor and teaching these small classes in the beginning uh, in 2012 to, you know, now we have over 50 instructors in the field. We have 10 in the hopper coming out um, we have three got scheduled in the past two days. So it's exciting, man. And I think we have a real shot at fixing police work through the appropriate training, which sounds like a very big task. And it certainly is. It's very challenging, but it's worth it.
0: That's my explanation. What, in your opinion, what, um, if you had to pluck a couple of common, I'm not going to say problems. We'll just, we'll just call them obstacles. A couple of common obstacles that are, whether, whether you're talking about New York city, whether you're talking about Guthrie, Oklahoma, whether you're talking about uh, Mayberry, RFD, what are some common law enforcement problems that you think, uh, regardless of the size of your department or where you are, everyone needs to be addressing?
1: Politics and law enforcement are heavily ingrained together, Mm. and they need to be uprooted and separated. And politics is probably the number one factor in why law enforcement is just in the state of affairs that it's in. Mm-hmm. There is no doubt about it. And it's unfortunately not going anywhere. So we're not trying to address the fact of whether or not this profession is going to be political. Mm-hmm. It, how do we function and operate and make sure that lives aren't being lost in a political environment where mm-hmm. cops and law enforcement is just, it's just, and I think, I think Jacob uh, Hoover said the best. Law enforcement and politics could never be intertwined. It's two mm-hmm. things that must be kept separate. But unfortunately, it's just the opposite. So yeah. we're not waiting. We don't think that cops deserve and society deserves to wait for some politician to show up to make things better. At this company, we decided to just do it ourselves.
0: Awesome. What's what, uh, one reason?
1: You want another reason? Another thing.
0: No, let's let's I, let's unpack that a little bit, and then and then yeah. we'll we'll kind of jump into something else. But, you know, I, I can remember growing up, uh, everybody that I knew, saw police and policing as being very apolitical. Um, I don't know when we kind of crossed that bridge where all of a sudden it became a left and right issue. I don't know exactly. I mean, obviously, it didn't happen overnight. It's something that kind of creeped in over time, but you're hundred percent correct. Uh, Hoover was, was correct. It's it, you absolutely should not be entered. Once you intertwine police and politics, that's Fidel Castro was famous for that, right? They is, is the police. One of the very first things that he did when, uh, when he took over Cuba, uh, not a lot of people know this is uh, spe- specifically within the cities, within Havana, he would not let, anyone work as a police officer in Havana if they had been born and raised there. He was he was recruiting people from outlying areas because he didn't want them to have any allegiances except to him. He didn't want them to have loyalty to a neighborhood, loyalty to family members. He didn't want them giving anyone the benefit of the doubt. He wanted them to be uh, a face that was completely unknown, uh, kind of the exact opposite of community policing, specifically because... They were just the enforcement arm of the Communist Party, Cuban Communist Party. That's literally all they were. And politics has has become so pervasive in law enforcement. And it's, uh, you know, the fact that some, I, I don't know what your opinion of him. I think Art Acevedo is one of the biggest pieces of shit's walking. Uh, the fact that somebody like that can make a name for himself, uh, you know, really nothing. He did nothing as, as a patrol officer that was noteworthy other than have a couple of sexual harassment suits against him, but he has been very noteworthy as a chief of police, you know, getting fired or, or, or ditching a job just before getting fired from place to place, to place, to place because he's a politician. That's really all that he is. And, uh, I, I think he wants to be the next Eric Adams. I think he has his, his eyes on higher office. Um, I don't know when the hell that happened. How how can departments or, you know, what can we do as a society like policy wise to insulate uh, law enforcement departments from being politicized?
1: It's impossible. I hate to say, but it's. Impossible. I'm, I'm
0: afraid you're right. I was I was thinking that as I was asking it. And uh, yeah, it, it does feel like it's it's just complete because there's always going to be political oversight. Right. They can't you can't operate independently. So, you know, city council, municipalities are always going to have the final say. Um, it's just, it's just in my, it's just gotten out of hand. I mean, you know, the, the things that just completely are unenforced some places and the things that are over-enforced in other places, it just, it's, it's mine as a civilian, it's completely mind boggling to me.
1: Well, that's so why we try to give guidance as a company. I mean, we're not just a training company. Mm-hmm. We try to give perspective and guidance. So, you know, trying to put, perspective into the minds, hearts, and souls of law enforcement officers to, you know, really use personal judgment and not their own agenda or political agendas to push what we do as law enforcement officers. But, but again, unfortunately, you may go to work with one intention to go out and catch criminals You may be told when you get to work that the mayor wants you to go down to the middle school and, uh, you know, hand out ice cream. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where we're, I just saw a thing the other day, like a a sign of some cops holding up things says like free hugs, come visit us. Like, guys, I get it. We have to develop community standards and relationships, but I think the best way to develop that is through the trust of the community that they know that you're out there protecting them and fighting crime. Mm -hmm. And while we pander to those who sympathize with criminals, we are forgetting those who appreciate the efforts of law enforcement to go out and stop crime. Like, is there anything more comfortable than knowing that your cops are out there trying to stop bad people before they get to you and your family, and your children and your friends and your loved ones. We know that standing at a tent on duty and giving out free hugs is not really the essential part of what a law enforcement officer is supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. But that's where your politics comes in. And that's really just scratching the surface. I mean, politics comes into the fact that um, the chief complaint of law enforcement, I'm sure it's similar to the military, is the lack of leadership and leadership mm-hmm. skills. And it's a very simple concept to understand. People don't want to accept it. People don't want to relinquish it. I get asked this one all the time. If we don't address these topics, even to my detriment, nothing ever gets changed. But it's no secret. Uh, There's not an agency in the country we can go to and not find people who are frustrated with at least one person in some kind of supervisory position. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think that that, that applies across the board in most industries as well. But in law enforcement, uh, it's a very frustrating thing to want to be able to do the right thing, make impact, catch bad guys, and have very little political support, a prosecutor who doesn't want to enforce the law or prosecute criminals, which is a real thing these days. Mm -hmm. Not everywhere. Very, very few places, to be quite honest with you. Very few. But those people are the most frustrated, so they express it nonstop. Probably a majority of your police agencies and prosecutors have intentions of, you know, bringing criminals to justice, the criminal justice system. And, you know, I don't think anybody has an answer for how to control the things that we're doing, but certainly bail reform didn't fix anything and not prosecuting. We just had one of our guys in here previously uh, who is explaining that in one of the major cities here in the United States of America, people are getting their fifth and sixth gun charges and going on five years probation.
0: That's uh, wild. that's, That's mind boggling. That's just yeah, absolutely wild. mind-boggling.
1: And you yeah. want to know why these cities are just overrun and riddled with crime? Is you have prosecutors who are soft on it, yeah, uh, because of political agendas, because they're working for the far left.
0: Yeah, and the and here, <laughs> you know the 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 drumbeat from 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 the left side of the aisle, of course, is we need more gun laws, we need more gun laws, we need more gun laws. You are not prosecuting the existing gun laws that we have. You can make laws until you're absolutely blue in the face. But, you know, like you say, people getting their fifth and sixth gun charge, uh, no cash bail system and they're back out on the street again. It's not, not aside from the fact of how that demoralizes law enforcement and it just makes the community unsafe. It's just, it's just straight up hypocritical. You can't come to me, you know, that's, that's like if your child comes to you and, uh, says, I need more toys and they're breaking all their toys, then you're not going to get them more toys. You're going to teach them they need to be more responsible. And that's, uh, I don't, I, I don't have any particular love for, for lawyers to begin with. I'm, I'm a firm believer that most lawyers were pre-med students that had shitty MCAT scores. So they <laughs> ended up in fucking law, in, uh, in law school. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, the, my, my roommate in residency said it best. He said, the best thing that a lawyer can hope for in their entire career is to unfuck something that another lawyer did. Like that's literally the best thing that they can hope for. And you know, not to throw them under the bus. Hell, my sister's a fucking lawyer. But uh, it, it's it's just our our legal system is just a nightmare. What is you know that being said, you know, with you know the places that have no cash bail, this revolving door system that we seem to have. In our, in our city and county jails. How would you, on a national level, how would you assess the state of, of morale and law enforcement as it exists in 2023?
1: I think that, I don't think there's an overall feel for how people feel. I think people are easily influenced on what they're told to feel. And what I mean by that is literally going on Instagram or Facebook or listening to a podcast where everybody's saying the world is over, it's it's the end of the world, America is doomed, you know, I get we have problems, mm-hmm. but I don't think our problems are that dire, and I think our problems are just different these days. I still think it's a fantastic country to live in, and, you know, you can hear how horrible it is, but look, dude, I mean, you know, I had a, a fairly frictionless day outside of my own day-to-day problems, but from... Outside society, I went out this weekend to a significantly uh, crime-ridden city. Um, Didn't experience the crime there. Felt safe in some sense, but was cautious for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I think that overall, it depends on the perspective of the person and what they're enduring. I think anybody who works for the NYPD is a miserable son of a bitch and has every right to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you went to parts of this country where you know, law enforcement is respected, appreciated, like Texas and Florida, uh, um, they might have a whole different perspective on how it feels. So I don't think there's any one overall feeling. And I also think some of that boils down to, how do you see things personally? Mm-hmm. You know, are, are you sucking in the toxic waste that everybody's pumping into your fucking brain? I mean, recently I talked about this last week in a podcast. I I took a complete news break. I don't touch any news headlines. Some people say things to me like, hey, did you hear this? I'm like, no, I didn't hear about that because I'm not looking at it. And that's not an irresponsible thing for me. It's I'm not allowing the news organizations to influence how I see life or what my mission is as a law enforcement officer because I can find myself getting very frustrated. Unfortunately, that would be to the detriment of the men and women who are expecting me to show up and keep them safe and mm-hmm. make their lives better. And that's really what my job is. And I have to stay focused on that because even I, who I think employ a lot of emotional intelligence can get emotional at times and get very frustrated. And I don't want to do that. I don't think anybody deserves me to, to act that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. Cause just, just recently, just uh, over the past few weeks, um, I decided to uh, delete all of the politically oriented podcasts that I had downloading onto my phone because I I really started to notice that when I would basically drive from point A to point B, and by the time I got to point B, I was pissed off. And this was a regular thing because that's it's my my routine was you know I I get in the I get in the truck I fire it up I plug my phone in I select a, a podcast I tap play. And then I listen to it while I'm driving. And as if, as if uh, Austin traffic isn't frustrating enough, now I've got you know somebody basically telling me all the other reasons that I should be pissed off. And, and I have to say that I don't feel any less informed since I stopped listening to him. But uh, I'm smiling when I go out, walk into the gym now instead of walking in pissed off. Right. And it's, it's just it's just something that I had to eliminate because, because of all the negativity. It just it wasn't serving any purpose.
1: Let me see this. I, I recently went to a part of a, of a group, a mastermind group, and these are significantly wealthy people. Significantly, like fucking. And you wouldn't know it in a million years. You have no idea these guys and girls were as successful as they are. That's the first thing I want to say. So when you look at somebody who's walking around in their uh, Gucci slides and their fucking Louis Vuitton you know, uh, fanny pack, don't be so impressed because I got to tell you, the people that I was with, none of them dressed like that. But we met for four days in Mykonos, Greece. And, you know, not one person brought up anything that most people bring up in conversation. Hmm. The things they were bringing up were just different topics. So what they were, listen, and, and, and we get together because it's very taboo to want to be successful, to want to have financial success, to want to have nicer things in life. And everybody says the same thing. I joined this group because I want to be people, be around people who would not judge me based on what I want out of life.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: nobody was talking about like anything politically related for four days. I didn't hear that conversation come up once. Uh, it was just about how they were doing, what they were doing, what they were up to, what they found to be successful, how they were gr- like med- how they're meditating, how they're finding more self improvement. But nothing was about the 2024 elections or this person or this district attorney or. Uh, you know, Biden or whatever it is, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, I have my personal position on things, but again, I can't expend energy into something that is not serving me or anybody else anything good. My job is to try to make the world a better place, not to cast my opinion of how I feel about the current presidential situation or, you know, what I think about the border crisis, Um, you know, and, and, That's not what I'm what I'm here to do. I'm here to be the best I can to serve the world in the best way that I can and and be the best father that I could possibly be as well. That's another part of my job and be the best friend that I can be. Mm -hmm. And overall, the best human that I can be. And, you know, I don't want to I don't want to set that askew because I'm taking in garbage. right. So you go on a garbage diet. You don't want to be ingesting the vomit of the the major media. And people people get very frustrated with this. People get very upset. They think it's irresponsible to behave that way. Um, But guess what? if you want to watch that stuff, that's fantastic, man. Enjoy. Like, you know, I no judgment, just don't judge me. Cause I don't judge you. You know, I just, how I choose to live my life and I'll go home after this podcast is done and go into a beautiful backyard. That's for the most part, pretty much safe and enjoy in a comfortable place. You know, my children and, and barbecue cheeseburgers and work out in my home gym. I mean, dude, I was just a Mykonos, Greece and, the first girl that I met there, I don't mean that in a sense of me being a single man, uh, she worked at the desk at the Tropicana Hotel. And when I walked in, our first conversation was how much she wanted to come to America. Hmm. And I was like, oh, why is that? And she's like, because there's no opportunity here. Mm. You're like, look around. There's nothing. This is either it. We come to this island to work in the summer. Outside of that, we live, at a, we live in villages. We don't even have technology. Mm. And like, I feel like America has just so much opportunity for you. And I'm like, It does. I mean, seven days there, like people might say, I don't have billions of dollars to, like, you know, be a fucking playboy in, in Mykonos, Greece, but it was pretty monotonous. And like, I'm, by day four, I'm like, I could see how you can get bored being here. There's nothing to do mm-hmm. except what there is to do. And once that's done with, I could see how frustrated you can get with living here. So yeah. just so we're clear, people still want to come here. And the reality is, this really is a great country. I mean, you know, I think about the winding roads there and how dangerous the road system is. And, you know, really, I don't want to say they're flagrant, you know, uh, I don't know, ignorance or ignoring of the laws. Mm-hmm. But, dude, there's like no rules. You know what I mean? In some <laughs> sense, there's no traffic. I'm not saying that I talk about it's just not a lot. So I also thought about, like, what's the response if you get in a crash? up here? like, what's the emergency response like? Let's just talk about how we take that for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, you crash a car, you're, you're within minutes of having law enforcement personnel and emergency responders at your scene pretty fucking quickly how about in these countries where there is nobody dude mm-hmm. right like you get hurt or crash like who's coming right you're hoping the villagers get together and fucking i don't know so even that you're taking that for granted here you're taking you're taking that comfortability of like you know i i, I try to have perspective on that a little bit
0: yeah it's still you know it's it's funny in this you know this it's been memed about quite a bit that as much as people talk shit about the U S we're still the country that everybody seems to want to come to, you know, and there's still, there are so many things there, there, there are more great things about this country than there are bad things there. uh, Even when you encounter somebody who is uh, completely 180 degrees political from you, you have more things in common with that person than things not in common. And people we've gotten to the point now that nobody wants to see that, but I think it really is true. And uh, you know, I, I was thinking, I'm going to jump back to, to a little bit what we were talking about before, just when you look at things on the in, if you, if you learn to see people as individuals and learn to see your community for what it is and ignore a lot of the background noise, you know, the partisan background noise, the 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 background noise of federal politics and everything else, you start to realize not only how good you have it, but how much we have in common. And something I was reminded uh, when you, when you were talking about you know kind of the toxicity about what things were like for me in in the military, and I had a couple of times in my career that uh, well more than a couple of times the things just sucked. That you know you were doing something, we you know this is a shit mission. We got handed a big shit sandwich. We're all gonna fucking take a bite together. Uh, I found that times when I had leadership, who would say, "All right, look, this is a shit sandwich. It's gonna suck. We're gonna. I'm gonna be right there with you. We're gonna eat this shit sandwich together, and then we're gonna hope moving forward that we don't get served a shit sandwich like this again." I have I have voiced concerns up the chain, but but it is what it is. We have to do this. I totally support that type of leadership. I'm on board. I understand. I, I'm I'm fucking buttering the bread on that shit sandwich along with everybody else. The adverse the, the the opposite side of that is when you have leadership that tries to pretend like the shit sandwich is a good idea. This is the most nutritious shit sandwich you're ever gonna see. We are lucky to have this shit sandwich. Thank goodness our superiors at City Hall deemed it that they would pass down this shit sandwich to us. I have zero respect for, for a leader who, who tows the company line because uh, you, can, you can still get the, the mission accomplished without lying to your subordinates. So I think, uh, I, don't, I think a lot of people in leadership don't understand how strong and efficient a filter they can be to their subordinates. And I think there's a lot, especially you talked about the border. I think in Border Patrol right now, there's a lot of Border Patrol stations that are literally being held together by the glue of that local leadership that, you know, the local leadership recognizing what the problems are and not lying to their people. It's when leaders lie to their people that they lose their respect to their people, in my opinion.
1: Well, why are we calling them leaders then, you know?
0: Well, that's yeah, because a lot of people who are leaders aren't—they're—they're they're not leaders. They're—they're they're mid-level functionaries. They're managers. They're—they're—they're they're, they're in positions of authority, but they lack the ability to lead.
1: And if they actually cared, they could learn to lead, but they don't care. It's all self-interest, mm-hmm. and it's clear as day. And when I say this, unfortunately, some of the "quote unquote" leader, but really managers, uh, are the people who decide if their agency is going to be a street cop attending agency Mm -hmm. and out of fear of being exposed, which they already are, nobody, no, everybody knows when you're a piece of shit leader, like you can't fucking hide that Mm
0: -hmm. you.
1: And and, you know, honestly, I would, I would actually respect if you wore it on your sleeve. I'm a piece of shit, self-interested leader. I have, or manager, I have no interest in leading and being here for anybody else. It's just all about me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Self-interest is one of the worst things that society that exists in mankind. Uh, mm-hmm. It really is just, it's, it is one of the roots of all the evil is what can I get for myself? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about self-care. I'm not talking about being selfish to be selfless. I'm talking about, it's just about me, narcissistic behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think that we're having a discussion about emotion versus intelligence. These things are, these decisions are emotional, but not intelligent. And when you're an intelligent person listening to an emotional person, it gets very frustrating.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so how do you how do you approach a situation like that? You know, you're going to have to figure out what the other side. And this is where we get into good communication, um, even from a subordinate's standpoint of how do we understand why the leadership is acting like this? Where what's going on behind the scenes that mm-hmm. we can't understand why they're acting this way? Uh, there's always a reason, and I think the person who employs the most non judgment and empathy can at least understand it. You don't have to like it, but you can at least understand where it comes from. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's very frustrating. It's, it's very frustrating to have a brain and to have to exist under those who don't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing. It's probably more likely that I probably should have never worked for anybody in my entire life. <laughs> I just shouldn't have, but I didn't know any better because I am a lower middle-class blue collar kid who, when I got a cop job, I thought I hit the lottery. You know what I mean? And not, denouncing or, or, or trying to say that I, I'm better than a police job. Obviously not. I care about these men and women so much, so tremendously that I've dedicated my life to it. But the reality is it was very frustrating. And you know, I, I not sitting here saying that I didn't make a fuck ton of mistakes, but don't forget I had no guidance. So mm-hmm. as a company, I've said this before and I'll say it again, we're not just here to show you practically how to behave or like how to employ things to catch more criminals and no legal statutes and, and case law. We're also showing you about life. You know, like, hey, man, you don't got to think like that. You don't got to think like two guys next to you. They don't they talk like idiots. I mean, recently I was in some company and I immediately literally I sat there. The minute I I sat down with this company, I was like, oh, fuck these guys. Right. Like and not because I I just fuck these guys. These are the last people I want to be around talking and acting like this. Mm -hmm. This is not how I see things. And it's not. Essentially, their fault. Mm-hmm. I just haven't thought deep enough to, and I've been that fucking guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Then I could imagine why, you know, I, I was judged. I remember, I remember going to work with my father, which was like a punishment for me all the fucking time. <laughs> my father's an electrician on Saturdays. He'd do side work at people's houses, and uh, we worked at a house which is not too far from where I live now. And that house actually is significant. I have actually looked for that family because. I remember going to that house and then going home and being like, oh, this house is such a piece of shit, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like compared to their house, their house was just profound. Now, the crazy shit is that I live in a nicer house with more cool shit than they ever had at, at that house at that time. But it was my ability to see that house. And I didn't understand a lot about how that house came to fruition, why mm-hmm. it looked so much bigger and better than ours, how they had all the cool shit that I ever wanted. It was important that I saw that house. But I remember – Anytime I went back there, I would tell my father, please bring me. You know, they had all the greatest toys. I was maybe 12, 13 years old. They had just everything that I, that I never had. And I remember at one point, I don't think the kids were allowed to play with me anymore. And it's because of the behavior I displayed as a kid from where I came from and how we acted and behaved versus how they behaved, not behaved, uh, behaved versus how these kids in this neighborhood behaved. <laughs> and their mother was not wrong. You know, at the time, I felt very offended about it. She was not wrong because I got to tell you, they should be aware of it, but they should have never acted the way that I was acting. And their mother was right for keeping them away from me uh, in the sense that my behavior was the behavior that I knew around me and where I had grown up, you know, in lower middle class suburbia uh, Mm -hmm. with, with people who drank too much, abused drugs too much, domestic violence, abuse towards children, misbehavior. Uh, speaking like idiots, no, you know, no perspective on the world, mm-hmm. and she didn't want her kids to hear that.
0: Mm-hmm. She
1: didn't want her kids to hear kids hear me cursing and getting in a fight. I was getting in a fight with a kid in their neighborhood, like who was being like a little baby, and I'm like, "Y'all fucking kill you right? Like your mother's a whore, right?" I'm saying all this crazy shit,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and like the kids in my neighborhood now, they don't talk like that. You know, they like they goof off and everything, with that like, bro, what a difference between the kids that are in my neighborhood now. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. I'm saying. Understand the perspective,
0: mm-hmm.
1: understand the toxicity that you're surrounded by and, and where your thoughts and beliefs come from. And you know, take an assessment of is that really you? Is this what you're really subscribing to? It took me a long time mm-hmm. to unfuck a lot of those, you know. Essentially it took me 31, 32 years to begin to unfuck
0: mm-hmm.
1: all those years of what I thought was appropriate and normal. So does that make sense or did I just go on a fucking complete? ADHD fucking tear and-
0: no it, it, it makes perfect sense and uh, it's we can we can look back on things like that now you know uh, with the benefit of age and wisdom and kind of unpack them but when you're going through it you don't know everybody they, I, I didn't fully realize this until uh, you know I didn't realize it growing up um, I, 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 th- I think the reason I didn't reali- realize it growing up, is, uh, uh, you know, like you, I, you know, I lived in a working class neighborhood. Uh, The uh, I I spent the first part of my life in in the in the Redondo Beach area, in the Los Angeles area. There's not a lot. uh, You know, it's uh, I I lived a block away from the school that I went to. So uh, obviously the kids that I went to school with socioeconomically, were a lot like me. You know, it's, it's not like there was one kid who came to school, got dropped off by a chauffeur, you know, and the, and the rest of us didn't. So I was interacting with people that were a lot like me. Uh, you know, there, there's a little bit of exposure to differences when you go in the military. You know, I certain, certainly saw it there. But very quickly, everybody, at least everybody who tends to be successful, kind of assimilates to military life. So you have that, immediately have that commonality again. I didn't fully appreciate what I, what I like to call the keyhole effect, right? That, that people, everybody is viewing the world through a keyhole, a different keyhole, right? So they're seeing it from different angles, but they think what they're seeing is the whole picture. That's true, right. I think, for most people. I mm-hmm. didn't fully realize that until I got out. And I, I did a few, like you, I worked as a corrections officer for a few years. And hearing inmates talk and say, say things so matter-of-factly, Like, uh, that literally I had a conversation once that basically the long and the short of it was sooner or later, I was working as an officer now, but sooner or later I would be locked up too, because everybody just does that. You know, at at some point in your life, everybody, you know, you get the DUI or, you know, you you steal your, your next door neighbor's barbecue grill, or, you know, you get caught pissing on a light lamppost you weren't supposed to be. And, you know, everybody just ends up. It just is what it is. You know, and and the guys that are telling me this, their father had been locked up, most of their uncles had been locked up, grandfather may have been locked up, their siblings were locked up. We had several. I you know, I worked at a, a place in in Bullock County, Georgia. We had several relatives who were locked up together—brothers, cousins, fathers, and sons. And you know, to them, it was just, well, this is you know, everybody's breaking the law. We're just the ones who got caught most recently, you know, you'll be in here too, you know, sooner or later. And that's when I really began to appreciate kind of the, the keyhole nature of how everybody sees the world. I think it's, you know, the, the, the testament to you is that you're at a point now where you can really unpack and kind of compartmentalize that. And uh, I think if more people realize that, that, you know, and that's, you know, you know going back to the 2020 election when people were freaking out and I, you know, I I don't understand how somebody can vote for insert name here. Uh, Well, they're not, they're, they're, there's the same information is out there, but you guys are viewing it from totally different angles. So you can't expect somebody looking through a different keyhole to describe that room the same way that you described it.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm fortunate. I feel thankful that, I'm able to have a new perspective on things. And I listen, this is not meant to sound insulting to anybody. You know, if you were living your life the way that you want to live it and you're happy that way, that's fantastic. But there are people who, you know, if given different perspective, would have different perspective. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of peeking through a different window to see, oh, you know what? I actually, I didn't know things like this were possible or I didn't know that people didn't think the way that I thought. And why is that? I actually like the way this this thinking. There's just so many things that you're brought up to believe uh, in, in some sense that, you know, I don't know. It's just I, I think that people need to be very worldly in their thoughts and ideas and behavior. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I I think at the core of it all, having compassion and empathy and non judgment, is probably one of the few things that might solve a lot of uh, significant problems in society. Look, I mm-hmm. – you and I, we care a lot about the world. Uh, we'll never be able to fix everything. So, what can you do? You can, you can fix and try to fix and try to help the things that you can actually help. And my path was set when I decided to get into law enforcement, and it's a big responsibility when the men and women who are so selfless that they show up to do such a job, sometimes that is so difficult and so draining and so emotionally taxing. Mm-hmm. For almost no compensation in some sense uh, for what they're doing, I think that they appreciate that somebody has their back, even if their administration doesn't like me. Mm-hmm. They know that I'm out here with good intention trying to make sure they get home to their families every single day, and it's a responsibility that I, that I've taken on and I can't turn my back on and albeit very, very difficult at times to do what I do. It's very, very difficult um. I actually wouldn't suggest it on anybody. It's, it's, it, it, you know, it may look like, like a bunch of peaches and cream, but it's, it's, it's very, very hard. Um, I, I understand that I have responsibility in, in, in this, in the realm that I'm in. It's, it's a big responsibility and I, I, won't stop doing it.
0: Well, I, you know, I, for one, appreciate the fact that you, you know, you have taken that on your shoulders to to do it because it's, it's one thing to recognize a problem, and so many people have. It's 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 quite something else to to be willing to step up and contribute towards solving that problem. Let me ask you this: when you, you
1: step this. up, you real quick. When you step up, when you like, so when you step up and start start fixing things, uh-huh. you never have. You just can't begin to imagine the giant paddle with your name on it, and and every so often it comes out of the closet and just you get some good smacks on the behind. And then you say to yourself, why me? Like, why am I, am I trying to fix these things? And, and, and it's happening to me. I'm trying to do such good work. Why is it happening to me? Mm-hmm. So that's why you really have to have a lot of emotional intel- intelligence to try to take something like this on. I mean, even as we're sitting here, uh, you may have noticed I looked at my phone very briefly. Uh, you know, I have an attorney that just messaged me and said, check your email. And it's, again, you know, I, it said it's Monday. we got so much stupid shit going on constantly. Mm-hmm. And it's just another fucking game that I have to play over nothing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I'm really trying to ensure that, you know, and I, I just I live through this now. So I, um, you know, it's, it's nothing of the criminal sort. It's just complete nonsense, just complete mm-hmm. nonsense of like, what did we do? Right. You know, like it's just so it's so wild and it makes no sense. People are very frustrated over it. Uh, and, it and actually, it's crazy shit. It's, it's all political motivation. It's pretty wild. So, but I also have to have the, the steadfastness, I guess, in some word to be able to separate the emotion that I feel towards that with coming on this podcast and, and doing this show with you and, and, you know, making sure that we're coming across intelligent without emotion and coming from a point of what we're really trying to do here is to make things better for everybody. So the naysayers and, and the sayers.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you a hundred percent and it's, uh, it's, Anytime you're the one, like you say, that raises your hand and says, Hey, I think, hey, I think this is, just saying, I think this is a problem that turns a lot of heads towards you to begin with. And then I saying, like the, yeah, yeah,
1: go, ahead. go ahead, I like the Dave Chappelle thing that's going around. It said, and he, he talks about it's from his comedy special, but it's 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 a deep, meaningful thing. He said, Anytime a hero falls, the cowards rejoice, yeah, you know, 100%. And the difference is, is like, I'm not going anywhere, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm just not. It just means too much. And I could go somewhere. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's the fucked up thing. Like, I can go somewhere.
0: I can yeah, go the, somewhere. The, yeah, the easy thing to do is just make it to retirement and take your check and fucking and go, right? And that's, we. you know, that's, uh, you know, a lot of, you hear in the military a lot. It's like, I just, I just got two more years, two more years to retirement this is not going to be my problem anymore, and I'm sure you hear it in law enforcement as well. It's oh, just, it's
1: every single fucking yeah. Day.
0: I'm just gonna I'm gonna bide my time and, and keep my mouth shut, and I'm just gonna make it through. I had when I went through uh, the advanced non-commissioned officers course uh, in the in the military, uh, we had and uh, ANOC was uh, we uh, was at Fort Bragg. It was a specific. AOC for special forces so you know we didn't have to go out into the to the big army and go through one of their NCO courses and I remember when we graduated there was a, uh, an SF sergeant major that came and and gave the graduation spiel and he even made a comment about it. he said you know you you see a lot of stuff you don't agree with in your career and you bite your tongue and you don't say anything you're like, I'm not, I'm not in a position to make changes yet. Someday I will be. I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get through this and I'm gonna get promoted, and someday I'm gonna be in a position that I can make change. And he goes, he goes, he goes, I think of that as selling off little pieces of your soul. And then you wake up one day and you've been promoted as as high as you can possibly go, and you realize you, you sold your entire soul piece by piece, and there's nothing mm-hmm. left. And yeah. now you're just part of the problem. And he said, he said, I'm not saying that's me. I'm not saying that's people in this room. But, you know, think of this as a cautionary tale. Don't let that be you. And what I found particularly poignant and also at the same time humorous about that is we finished graduating. They excused all of the family members uh, and guests from the auditorium. And uh, a a, a higher ranking sergeant major than that individual made us all keep our seats so he could rail for an additional 15 minutes about how that was 100% fucking wrong. And this was a guy who we all knew fit that description to a T. He had sold his soul off little by little. He was all about, you know, when I talk about the leader, you know, he was the type of leader that would say this is the best shit sandwich you're ever going to eat. And meant it, you know, because he had literally brainwashed himself to that point. And uh, it's hard. It's 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 hard to be the one who speaks up, you know, when when everybody's headed for the same cliff. It's it's hard to be the person who speaks up and say, "Hey, uh, maybe walking off this cliff isn't a good idea." Just there's a there's a documentary uh, now. I think it's on Hulu about uh, about Jim Jones, and you know the fact that 918 people lined up to drink what they knew was poison fucking, uh, purple Kool-Aid. You know, that, that seems shocking. You know, you know, you know, if, if just one person would have been vocal, uh, you know, m- maybe a lot of them would still be alive today.
1: Let me I mean, ask you emotional this. Emotional versus intelligent, right? I mean, yeah. Emotion it, versus intelligence.
0: Uh, yeah. hundred percent. Uh, what would you say, if somebody and you probably get emails like this, you probably get uh, online messages like this. Somebody contacts you. They say, "Hey, I've been. I'm. I'm going to the police academy. I'm a. i am report next week." What you know? What's your elevator spiel for them on how to be successful? How to uh, not, not only be successful, but uh, maintain their own sanity, maintain their own happiness. What advice would you give the, that young man or woman?
1: I don't know if there's an elevator pitch, because I think it's a big conversation to have of, yeah, you know, I think their best bet is to probably start following street cop training and reading and going back historically into the stuff that we've posted. Because we try to put a lot of thoughtful stuff out that molds the ideal police officer. So we did one recently, maybe a couple of weeks ago, that said like five things that I noticed about those who are the most successful in law enforcement. But there's, yeah. I think there's advice for the academy. I think there's advice for post-academy. I had a guy reach out to me last week. He's like, hey, man, I'm in, third, we, I'm in my third phase of field training. Um, and, and my last field training officer is just the worst. What do mm-hmm. I do? And I'm like, well, how many more weeks is it? He's like, well, two more. I'm like, "Then I mean just deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then maybe one day you will be his boss and you can address it. But,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, unfortunately, you're between that rock and a hard place again. Uh, and that's the rub. Like, do you go and tell somebody? Is he friends with the chief? You know, like, is that the Chiefs fishing buddy? And now you're fucked for the rest of your career because you open your mouth? You know, but if you don't say anything, then nothing ever changes. And the next guy that comes through here is, the, is, is suffers the same detriment that you had to go through. So it's, it's hard. I think the one thing that I can tell people is I talked about this on a podcast last week we did with Heather Logelich, and, and it really made a lot of sense where I think at some point you got to start taking into account of your agency and is this where you see yourself for the rest of your life mm, so mm-hmm. when i give dating advice to people because people ask me all the time like, you know what should i look for in, in a partner well let's make a list of what that partner looks like let's make tell me about if god came down and said to you you get to list a whole array of things and you get to create and design your perfect person your soulmate the person you want to marry what would it look like and you'd go through your list. You, and what, what are things you wouldn't want? Well, I wouldn't want this. I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want this. I wouldn't want that. Some of that may seem, may seem superficial, but you know, everybody's entitled to wanting a certain thing. Well, I think you should do the same for not only just everything in life, but at least a, an agency. So how do you see your career? What kind of cop are you trying to be? Well, I want to be a proactive one. I want to get onto, a, onto a, you know, a, a SWAT team or a criminal interdiction unit or a, or a street crimes unit. And then I want to do this and I want to get promoted and I want to do that. Okay, does where you work reflect what your vision is of what your career is going to be? And if the answer is no, my suggestion to a lot of people, especially when they're new, is keep it to yourself, but really start thinking about what your next move is going to be. Because the last thing I want to do is be miserable or stuck in a place where I can't fulfill how I saw my life. And you'll have people that you work with that say, you know what? The grass isn't always greener, bro. We got good off-duty work here. It's not bad. Those people are the ones sitting in the mud. Those are the misery loves company people. So be very careful of those folks. Mm -hmm. Your life and their life are two different things. Just because they like sitting under a tree and watching Netflix while waiting for their next service call to come out and you want to go out and run and gun and catch bad guys, it doesn't mean that you guys are going to have the same story about your life and this agency fits your needs. Mm -hmm. I think agencies should honestly be upfront about what the expectations are of their officers, So we cannot have a mismatch. Hey, what do you guys do here? We push tickets. If you don't like writing tickets, don't come here. Right? Well, what about criminal interdiction? We don't want to hear nothing about that. We don't want to hear anything about anybody's cars getting searched. There's no canines. There's never going to be a canine. We don't have a SWAT team. Our cars don't work. That's just the way it is here. But we do have lots, like, list the things out. So this way, when you hire somebody and invest $50,000, $60,000 into them in the first six months of their career through training and their salary – you're not frustrated in nine months, and also they're not frustrated with you because they've been misled. But mm-hmm. they don't do that, which they should. List the things that we're like. You can't say publicly, hey, this agency, we make sure our, our police officers do not interfere with criminals at all. Do you know how many agencies ensure that the cops don't mess with criminals and just don't touch it at all and let it be until something happens? A lot. Hmm. So just say that, but they can't say it publicly, right? So mm-hmm. I think when people recognize that there is no hope this is not how you saw your career just to ensure that you got to start thinking about where we're going next i mean i i've met somebody recently and i'm like i don't think you should be a cop right and that person was like well why i'm like because i'm watching your passion so so we're talking about two different things i'm like you should do that mm-hmm. and that person was like yeah, i've been thinking about that i'm like yeah so like it's your life like it's just you're just writing another chapter in your life i mean just because somebody says you have to stay here for, I told my brother-in-law this because he was on the fence about being a cop and I knew he, he wanted to be a cop but I didn't know his mother was running interference. I said, Steve, just because you sign up and your retirement is 20 or 25 years away doesn't mean you have to stay for 20 or 25 years. Like it's not a death sentence. You can leave <laughs> in three weeks if you don't like it. You could leave in five, five seven years <laughs> if you don't like it or you found something better, a better opportunity. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that this is your life and you don't have to live it according to how other people think you should live it. You should live it according to the way you want to live it. Mm -hmm. So that's my advice is, you know, police academy is going to be tough. You're going to have some difficult times. Life is tough. Um, But, you know, if I was given some advice, I'd say I'd start taking into account of what is my next move? What does it look like? Maybe that's staying at the agency. But what's the what's that look like inside of my agency? And there's a lot of piece of advice we give continuously uh, on our social media platforms and through our podcast as well.
0: Awesome. Uh, great stuff, man. And we, have covered some really good stuff. Uh, we're getting close on time here. So I, I wanted you to get a chance to, to stay to the listeners, uh, let everybody know what you offer individuals and departments, where they can find you and how they can avail themselves on everything that you have to offer.
1: I appreciate it, man. And I, you know, I just want to say, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's a real honor being here, dude. I. Uh, uh, it means a lot to me to be asked to be actually considered to be important enough to be asked to be on somebody else's show. Um, so I, I really I, I always elated to be a guest on somebody's show. It's very exciting. And I, I appreciate it, Mike, and all the work you've done. I think, you know, it's you check out Mike's stuff. He's really uh, a profound and very special human being. But you can find our stuff at StreetCop.com. Um, our 2024 conference is coming up in Orlando, Florida, but we have one every year. All social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram. We have a Facebook group for law enforcement only. If you can begin to explore with the Street Cop Podcast, begin to explore some of our stuff, you'll find out a lot about our stuff. And, and uh, if you're a law enforcement officer, uh, you know, really, you're going to find, no matter what, I mean, I, listen, I break balls. I mean, I, I, I think tickets are the dumbest thing the cops do. So if you're, gonna, if you're listening to this and you write a lot of tickets, you're going to get very frustrated with me very quickly. But if you listen to why I think they're ridiculous, you might actually subscribe to putting on the ticket book and actually going out and finding some crime. But uh, outside of that, we're still a good resource. And if you wear a badge and you show up to work to do this job, you are my brother or sister, and I, I, I do everything that I can possibly um, to make sure that, you know, we do this better every single day. That's, that's my answer.
0: Awesome, brother. Good stuff, man. Uh, really appreciate it. I'm going to have links to, uh, to the website, to their social media in the show notes. So make sure that you guys check those out. I'm going to close today with a quote from the late Bobby Kennedy, who said, Every society gets the kind of criminal it deserves. What is equally true is that every community gets the kind of law enforcement it insists on. Remember that, everybody. And until next time.